You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen. Church, you may be seated. And good morning. It's so good to be with you guys in this way this morning. I get to open up God's Word with us. And we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You can turn there right now. 2 Chronicles 34. We're continuing in our series right now. As we examine yet another king this week, this week we are looking at King Josiah. We're looking at King Josiah. And as you're flipping to 2 Chronicles 34, I have a question for us today. Here's the question. Have you ever noticed that the ways of God are so different than the ways of man? Right, you might be wondering what do I mean by that. Have you ever noticed that when we live our life the way that the Bible tells us to live, that so often the world will look at us and they will think that we are absolutely crazy. Like, it's true, it's true. The Bible says, for instance, that God's power is found in weakness. The Bible says that if we lose our life for the sake of Christ, then that's where we're going to find life. The Bible says that God exalts those who are lowly and humble. And these things, they run totally against what the world will tell us. The world, on the other hand, will say, no, 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 you want to find power. Well, power is found in money, wealth, fame, prosperity, status. The world says, you want to know the purpose of life? Well, it's pleasure. So whatever whim and desire pops into your brain, you should pursue that thing. That's what makes you happy. That's the purpose of life. And the world says, No, we don't want you to be lowly. If you want to be important, then you need to be exalting yourself. You need to be promoting yourself, advocating for yourself, heaping up followers on Instagram or TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, you just showed your age this morning. All right? Maybe it's LinkedIn for you. But these are the things that the world tells us we should pursue. And if we're honest, so often these thoughts find their way into the minds and hearts of believers. Like, we want these things. There's times I want power, money. I want these things. So these aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but when these things have our hearts, they will lead us to destruction and ruin time and time again. It's just true. And Israel, they found themselves in a place of destruction and ruin coming out of exile. So they've come out of exile, and they're standing in front of their city, and it is a shell of what it used to be. The city is, in, is broken down, it's in disrepair, and they have a question in front of them. And the question is this, is how do we return to what was? How do we get back to the way things used to be? And there was a fork in the road, right? They could go with the ways of man, or they could go with the ways of God. The ways of man would be through military conquest, power, pillaging, all of these things, or they could go with the ways of God. And so what the writer of 2 Chronicles is doing is he's showing the people of Israel as they stand here all these negative and positive examples to say, hey, if you want to return to God's blessing, then here's the way. Here's the way. And so as we look at King Josiah's story, we're going to find another principle today, another truth that the world is going to scoff at. It's not going to make sense. And the truth is this, if you could summarize King Josiah's life with a tagline, this is the big idea, this is the name of the sermon, it would be this, it would be that blessing is found in brokenness. 
it would be that blessing is found in brokenness. You see, this is a truth that the people of Israel really needed to hear. And it's a truth today that we need to hear. We, too, need to return to the way that God blesses. And today, that way is through the path of brokenness. And so we're going to be, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34, and we're going to kind of jump around in that entire chapter. But what we're going to do is we're going to take one verse, and it's going to be verse 27. And verse 27 is going to be a bit of a springboard for us. It's going to serve us as our outline, and we're going to be able to cover a lot of ground quickly so we don't have to read it verse through verse And uh, before we get there, though, I want to give us a little bit of context that will bring us up to speed. So we can throw up that timeline on the screen. So King Josiah, he reigned as the king of Judah from 640 to 609 BC. Josiah, he's the son of Ammon, and he's the grandson of Manasseh. So these former kings, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped false gods. Manasseh was so bad, he actually offered his son as a sacrifice to a pagan god. And they misled the people away from the one true God. Now, Manasseh, we heard about him last week, he had a good finish, but Ammon did not. Josiah's dad did not have a good finish. In fact, he was such an evil guy that his servants conspired against him and they killed him in his own house because of how evil he was. So he's a bad dude. And as this is happening, the anger of the Lord is building and building and building against the people of Judah for their wicked ways, and that's when Josiah takes the throne. So Josiah, he comes on to the scene as the king, and he has a love for the Lord, and he's looking out at the kingdom, and he sees wickedness and evil. And so what happens is a prophet comes forward, and she says, that judgment and wrath is coming against the people of Judah. The Lord can no longer sit by and watch the downward spiral of his people. But that's when verse 27 comes in. And that's what's going to be our outline today. And so I hope you're ready. I hope you're looking. Verse 27 of 2 Chronicles 34, let's read. It says this. It says, Because your heart was tender... And you humbled yourself before God when you heard his word against this place and its inhabitants. And you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So even in the face of impending doom and judgment, God blesses the character of Josiah. We see three characteristics in verse 27 that we're going to pull out today. And these three things are tenderness, humility, and repentance. Hey, wouldn't that make a great outline? All of these qualities, we find this in verse 27, and this is going to be our outline. These three things lead to the blessing of God. So we're going to look at the first one right now. Point one is this, return to tenderness. Return to tenderness. And we're going to look at verses one to seven right now. So let's read. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. So we'll pause there for a second. The first thing that's going to catch our attention right now is the age of King Josiah. So he is eight years old when he becomes king. And from a very young age, he begins to seek the Lord. So if you're a young person in the room, I hope that your ears just perked up. You're like an eight-year-old king. That sounds interesting. Listen, 
an eight-year-old king, you might be tempted to think right now if you're a young person that the Lord can't use me. The Lord uses strong people, old people, people of position and power and authority. He can't use me. Listen, the Lord can use whoever he wants to use. The Lord can use whoever he wants to use. Maybe you're an older person right now and you're sitting here thinking, the Lord can't use young people. There's nothing good about this up-and-coming generation. Listen, the Lord can use whoever he wants to use. Josiah, from a young age, he seeks the Lord. The Lord can use that. And the Lord can use you if we pursue him. What we see in this story from the very beginning is that anything good that we're going to see, the very fact that Josiah seeks the Lord from a young age, this is the grace of God upon his life. This is God's grace upon him, and it's God's grace upon the nation of Judah. Verses 1 and 2 that we just read, they're essentially a summary of his whole life. Last week, if you remember Pastor Nathan, he did um, the resume of of King Manasseh, this evil resume that showed how bad he was. Well, this is kind of like King Josiah's resume, okay? And his resume looks like this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn to the right or to the left. That's a good resume. Josiah is used to break the cycle of evil in his family line. Notice they compare him to David, his father, not Ammon or Manasseh. Well, why did they do that? Well, David was this this moral example, this moral standard through which the messianic king would come. And so because Josiah is a good king, they're comparing him to David, his father, not Ammon, his evil, actual father. Josiah, he doesn't waver in his life, in his love and his devotion to the Lord. In verse 3, it says that in the eighth year of his reign, so that's now he's 16 years old, that he begins to seek the Lord. And already, I, I, I love this picture of tenderness found in Josiah. He's 16 years old, and he's already beginning to seek the Lord. He's trying to learn and grow and discern the will of God for his life. You see, the rest of the story, all of the good things that we're going to see in, in King Josiah, like they don't happen apart from this step. There's no good news for the nation of Judah If Josiah doesn't seek the Lord, this is the beginning. This is where it starts. And again, it's grace, right? Like, uh, you think about this. Like, apart from the Lord, a 16-year-old king is an absolute disaster, right? Like, we get that. Like, apart from the Lord, a 16-year-old king, he has something to prove, right? He wants to show how strong he is, how tough, how alpha he is to his people, but also to his enemies, right? But not King Josiah. What we see in King Josiah is, is tenderness, We see a softness in his conscience to hearing the word of the Lord. Josiah is tender and he's listening. Well, what happens when Josiah starts to listen to the Lord? We'll keep reading verse 3. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. They chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. Let's jump down to verse 5. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Jump down to verse 7. He broke down the altars, and he beat the Asherim and the images into powder, and he cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. And then he returned to Jerusalem. All right. So Josiah, he begins his reform. This is known as Josiah's reform when he's 20 years old. You see, as he begins to seek the Lord... He has this growing disgust in his heart towards the evil that he's seeing in his kingdom. 
Like, I want us to just imagine this. This, this is real. Just, just paint this picture with me. Just imagine a 20-year-old King Josiah, okay? And he wants to survey his kingdom. So he leaves his palace, and he starts, gets his bodyguards, and he goes for a walk. And as he's walking, surveying the kingdom, he's looking up in the high places, and he's seeing these altars that are built up. But they're built up to these demonic, false, pagan gods. And then he walks by Solomon's temple, the temple that at one point housed the Shekinah glory of God, the very manifest presence, the holiness of God was in Solomon's temple, and it's in ruin. Not only that, there's actually pagan images in the temple. Like, this is a mess. Maybe as he continues to walk, he smells smoke. And the smoke is of these sacrifices that are being made to these demonic gods. And as his heart is filled with a love for the Lord, and he sees all of this, his heart is just revolted at the evil that takes place in his kingdom, and he's moved to a place of holy anger. And so King Josiah, man, he starts smashing these altars. He actually kills the priests and burns their bones on their altars. Notice that tenderness here, tenderness doesn't mean weakness. Tenderness doesn't mean weakness. Josiah is incredibly tough on the evil that he sees, but all of this flows out of a place of tenderness and love to the Lord. I love, in verse 7, verse 7, it says that he beat the images into a powder. That stuck out to me. Like, that's, that's what being tenderhearted looks like. He's so sensitive to the things of the Lord that he couldn't allow anything that is evil to exist under his rule. It wasn't enough just to, like, take these things down and move them to another room or just kind of move them outside the city. He had to obliterate them out of existence. And I think, I think this is something that we need to hear today. I think this is a good lesson for us because I think that if we're honest with ourselves, maybe some of us have allowed some evil things to creep into our lives. Maybe we've allowed some evil things to creep into our homes, onto our phones, into our families. Evil things like adultery, lust, pornography, drunkenness, materialism. These things aren't these little wooden images. They aren't these little wooden idols, but these things certainly have our hearts. And so often I think what happens is we have our idols in one hand and we have our Bibles in another and we're wondering why is the Lord not blessing me? Why don't I have these times of intimacy with the Lord? And the truth is, it's because the Lord cannot and does not bless this ever. Ever, ever, ever. The Lord, this cannot work. We say with our lips that we love the Lord, but we do not show it with our lives. We have our idols tucked away in the secret drawers of our hearts, and we're wondering, why isn't the Lord blessing this? Church, why do we do this? Why do we allow things to get to this point? And it's, the truth is, is because our hearts have grown cold. Our hearts have become callous. And we can't hear the Holy Spirit prompting us. We can't hear the voice of the Lord. Our hearts are not tender. They're not tender to the ways of the Lord. And the Lord will not bless this. So right now, I think we need to ask ourselves this question. What are the idols that have crept their way into our lives that the Lord is asking us to deal with this morning. Name them. What are they? The Lord is calling us this morning to take our idols and to grind them into a powder. Not tuck them away in a secret drawer for no one to hear about. He wants us to pull them out of the darkness into the light so that he can kill it. 
He wants us to take the idol out back and shoot it. He wants us to deal with our idol problem. This is where blessing is found. Tenderness. Tenderness looks like getting to the point where our hearts are breaking for the things that break God's heart. That is where blessing is found. And my prayer right now is that the Holy Spirit is prompting something inside of us that we know we need to deal with. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd make our hearts tender this morning. Would we hear from you again? Would we hear your voice and your prompting in our hearts? Josiah gets this and he purges all of Judah and Jerusalem because of the tenderness in his heart. Let's look down at verse 27 again. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So the first characteristic that God blesses was tenderness. It's a soft and sensitive nature that hears and discerns his ways and his leading. But there's more for us. God requires more from us this morning. And that's where we get to this, point two. Return to humility. Return to humility. All right, I'll catch us up to speed. So Josiah, he's purging Judah, and then his focus comes to the temple, which we already talked about. The temple was not what it was supposed to be. There's pagan images in the temple, and the, the true worship of God is not there anymore. Under the evil kings, that had ceased. This thing is polluted, it's filled, it's fallen to ruin. The temple is not what it is supposed to be, and so Josiah sees that, and he needs to deal with it. And so what does Josiah do? Well, he gathers a bunch of money from the people. He takes up an offering to rebuild the temple. He hires a bunch of contractors and builders to go in and build this temple, get it back to what it needs to be. While the temple is being rebuilt, Hilkiah, the high priest, he comes across something. He finds the book of the law. He finds the book of the law, and then he brings it to this guy, Shaphan, and says, hey, you need to take this to Josiah. You need to go read this to him. And so now we're going to see what Shaphan does Verses 18 to 21. We read this. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And hear this. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and his men. He said, hey, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that have been found. Why? For great is the wrath of the Lord that is going to be poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So they come across the book of the law in the temple and this was likely the book of Deuteronomy according to commentaries and it was hidden probably to protect it during the evil reign of some of these kings, but the specific book and why it was hidden isn't really the point. The point is this, that they find God's word, and then when God's word is read, Josiah is broken. He is broken because he realizes how far he and the nation of Israel have fallen. He tears his clothes and he instructs Hilkiah and his men to go find out, hey, what's going to happen to us? We haven't been keeping the word of God. What's going to happen to us? Like, just imagine this, like, again, imagine this. This is King Josiah, like, he's the king. He's the guy in charge, right? And then his servant comes in front of him, he opens up a scroll, and he reads the words of God, and what does the king do? He falls over broken. He tears his clothes. He's weeping 
This is a tremendous act of humility seen in the king. Why? Because even though Josiah is the king, he realizes that he is not ultimately the one in charge. There is someone with a higher authority, and that's God. And when these words are from God, he realizes, I need to do what these things say. I am submitting myself under the word of God. But how often are we confronted in our sin by the word of God? How do we respond? You know, this isn't a new thing. I know this, but I was thinking about this. I don't think there's anything more revolting to the generation I'm a part of and the generation coming after me than being told what to do and being told what not to do. Right? Who are you to tell me what to do? You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm doing. Why? Because we want to be king. We want to be king of our own lives, yet, if I'm actually honest, I don't think this is just a my generation problem. I think it's true of the generation before me. And I also think it's true of the generation before them and before them. You know why? Because this is a sin problem. This is something that plagues the human heart. This is something we even see in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. They rejected the rule and reign of God because they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to be king. Yet God's word confronts us in our sin And how do we respond? You know, so often, God's word confronts us, and that inner lawyer, man, it comes up fast, right? We start rationalizing our behavior. We have an excuse for everything. We refuse to submit ourselves under the authority of God's word. So often, this is our reflex response to the word of God. This is the opposite of humility, yet so so often, this is my reflex response. This is not where blessing is found, but no wonder Josiah finds blessing. He's the king, he hears the word, and he's broken, and he submits himself under the authority of the word and allows it to change him. As I read this this passage, there's a few verses that come to mind here. We can throw these on the TV. The first is Isaiah 66, verse 2. I like this verse a lot. It says this, it says, But this, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one that the Lord blesses. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, this verse, this describes Josiah. But the question is, does this verse describe you? Does this verse describe me? Am I humble? Am I broken in my spirit? Do we tremble at the word of God? Church, it's hard to tremble at his word if we're not reading his word. Here's another one. 1 Peter 5, 5. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the inner lawyer, the self-exalting man-made ways, the excuses, but he offers grace to those who are humble. Spurgeon, he was, uh, has a commentary on this verse, and, and he says this, and this stuck with me. I thought it was so helpful, and this is what it says. It says, God has never filled a cup that wasn't first empty. Think about that. God has never filled a cup that was not first empty. He cannot give grace to those who do not think they need it. And blessing is only found by those who are broken and humble. 
like I think we can I think we can wait on this for just a minute. Like I believe I believe that there are some people here today maybe who are forfeiting the blessing of God simply because they are too proud. We're too proud. We refuse to bow the knee to our creator. We refuse to be told what to do. Today I just I implore you. There is blessing from God from those who humble themselves under his word. I pray today is different. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God and find blessing today. Josiah responds to the finding of God's word with tremendous humility. This is what the Lord blesses. All right, so a quick recap to bring us back. We know that blessing from God is found from those who return to tenderness, who are walking in humility under the authority of God's word. And what do these two things lead to? They lead to something. These things lead to this, point three. They lead to repentance. Point three, return to repentance. So, Josiah, he sends Hilkiah, the high priest, he says, hey, go find out what's going to happen to us, right? We haven't been following the ways of the Lord. So Hilkiah goes and finds Huldah. Huldah is a prophetess in Jerusalem. And this prophetess, she comes and she confirms Josiah's worst fears. She says, hey, the judgment of the Lord is coming against Judah. They have forsaken the Lord and they've made offerings to other gods and therefore the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. But this is where we get to verse 27. This has been our main verse. In spite of the judgment that's coming, To Judah, Josiah receives a special blessing from the Lord because he's tender, humble, and repentant. Josiah tears his clothes, right? He weeps before the Lord over the sin of the people, but his brokenness doesn't end there. True brokenness leads to true change. And this is true for Josiah. Josiah can't allow things to stay the way they were. He gathers all of the elders of Judah and all of the people of Judah to Jerusalem to make a change. And we're going to read that change right now. We're going to read verses 31 to 33. 31 to 33, we read this. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. To perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book, And then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel. And he made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And then this last verse. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. That's a good verse. All right, so you might notice that we don't see the word repentance in these verses. But we certainly see the idea of it. Repentance means to turn from our sin and to turn to God. Repentance involves a brokenness over one's sinful ways and a change in action or or, or behavior. So we see brokenness and we see change in behavior in this text. You see, you cannot have repentance without change. If Josiah is truly a repentant man, then things need to look differently, right? And they do. Real, real change comes through real repentance. Some of us, we've been, we say we want change, right? We'll say, I need change in my marriage. I need change in my work. I need change with my, my relationships with my kids. I need change, but I just don't know where to start. It begins with repentance. It begins with recognizing that we're the problem. 
Real repentance leads to real change. And this is evident in Josiah. So what does he do? He gathers the people to publicly read the book of the law. And from there, he leads the entire nation in a covenant renewal. That's a bit foreign to us, but what this is, is it's a reaffirmation of their loyalty and love to Yahweh. It was saying that we're going to abandon the false gods that we've been worshiping, and we're going to return to the one true God. And then we see that last verse that we just read, which just summarizes that Josiah did what he was supposed to do. Israel did not turn away from serving the Lord as long as Josiah was alive. Why? Because brokenness had resulted in change. Brokenness had resulted in change. I think, I think for me, man, I was thinking about this, and so often we know how to talk about brokenness. We know the lingo. If you're like me, I was, I was born, and then I think the next day I was in church. Like, that's how, that's how fast it was, right? I've been in church a lot. We know how to talk about brokenness. We know the words, we know the lingo, but so often our lives don't actually reflect a true state of brokenness. On the screen here we see this verse, Psalm 51, verse 17. This is so good. It says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God, the worship of God, are a broken spirit. This is what God wants from us. You know, I think a lot about the type of worship that God wants from us as a church. And one of the things I was thinking about is more than any fresh worship song, more than any great sounding band, more than loud singing from our people, the type of worship that God wants from us is this. He wants a broken and contrite heart. Why? Because when we're broken, we understand that we need him. In fact, he says, you will not despise. This is a promise, right? I mean, think about this. Judgment and wrath of God is coming upon the nation of Judah, but the Lord hears Josiah why? Because God will not despise those who are broken before him. This is a promise for us today. Here's another one. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their need. You want to talk about blessing. They get the kingdom of heaven. This is available for those who are broken in spirit, poor in spirit, crushed in spirit, who recognize their need for God. I think, it's, I think this is a good place for us to live. Like this isn't a once a year kind of thing. This isn't every time I see my sin thing. I have to live in the place where I am consistently broken over my own sin before the Lord. This is what the Lord wants from us. This is the worship God wants from us. This is what he blesses. So Josiah, he reforms the nation of Judah, and he's spared from seeing the destruction of Judah in his lifetime, and then he leads the people in the way of the Lord, and that delays the wrath of God for decades. The Lord blessed Josiah because of his tenderness, his humility, and his repentance. And in some ways... It sounds like a happy ending. Like we, we could put a period on that 
and they all lived happily ever after and we're good, we can go home. But that's not the way the story ends. You see, the way the story ends is Josiah, he's actually killed in a battle that he probably should have never been in. And then his son ascends to the throne and then we see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We don't need to flip there, but this is what it says. Jehoiakim, which is his son, was 25 years old when he began to reign. And then we see this. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then it doesn't take very long until in 597 BC, the Babylonians, they come, they kick in the front door, and they lead the rest of the people into exile. You might think, hey, this is a bit of a buzzkill on the story of Josiah. And to be honest, it, it kind of is, but the truth is, this is, the story is never about Josiah. This is God's story. God is the hero, and God is showing us right now today who and what he works in. He's showing us who and what he blesses. You see, the story of Josiah is that even though Josiah demonstrated godliness, Josiah wasn't good enough. And that even after the nation is led into exile and led out of exile, they're standing here in front of their city and they're recognizing, hey, you know what? We need a better king. We need someone better than Josiah, man. We need someone better than Hezekiah. We need someone better than David. We need someone who can deliver us from our problem of brokenness once and for all. We need the Messiah. You get it, right? These good kings are pointing to a better king who's coming. Hundreds of years later, King Jesus shows up. King Jesus shows up and he perfectly demonstrates tenderness. Jesus perfectly demonstrates humility, even to the point of death on a cross. And it's the loving kindness of Jesus that leads us to a place of repentance. And see, King Jesus, he shows up to deal with the root problem of Israel And it's our root problem as well. You see, it wasn't just a string of bad luck for the people of Israel. The brokenness came from their sin. And our sin is also our greatest problem. And King Jesus came to deal with it. He came to establish the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. He came to fix our sin problem. And he did this by living a perfect, sinless life. And that qualified Jesus to be our perfect substitute. And then Jesus... He died on a cross. He took the penalty that we deserve. You see, the wages of our sin is death. Jesus died in our place. And he absorbed the wrath of God that was upon him that was meant for you and for me. And then this king, King Jesus, he was buried for three days. And then he rose from the dead. And now King Jesus is proving that he is victorious over sin and death and that God has accepted the payment of his son. And now he is reigning perfectly at the right hand of the Father. This is King Jesus. This is the king that these other kings point to. This is the king who solved our greatest problem. And this is the king this morning who we bring all of our problems to. We bring our brokenness to the feet of King Jesus. We bring our pride, we bring our idols, the disgusting things that take place in our heart, we bring them before the king at his feet. But here's the good news, church. We're not met with a hammer. What are we met with at the feet of Jesus? Well, we're met with grace. Like, think about that. We're met with mercy. We're met with love. 
with kindness, with blessing. This is what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. So my prayer today right now is that we would all be bringing our brokenness this morning. We'd all be identifying our brokenness and we would be bringing it before the feet of King Jesus. And it is there and only there where you will receive a blessing that only he can give you. And so right now what we're going to do, we're going to bow our heads in prayer and we're going to move into a time of, of confession before this king. I believe that there's multiple things that the Holy Spirit could be identifying in our hearts, things that we need to deal with this morning. Maybe it is a specific idol that we need to come and confess. Maybe it's just our pride, our unwillingness to bow the knee before the king. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to take a few minutes in the quietness, just you and the Lord, and we're going to pray. And you're going to confess your sin before the king. But church, remember what is waiting for you when you do this. It is mercy and grace and kindness and blessing. So let's take a few moments right now and let's bring our sin to the king.